Hello and welcome to Reactive's Beyond the Byline podcast. I am Evicchiori and this week we are discussing the upcoming Italian elections, what is the possible outcome, what are the most probable scenarios if the right-wing coalition wins, will Giorgia Meloni become Italy's first female prime minister, and if so, how would it affect the country's relations with the EU? Sunday, Italian voters will have the chance to uh, have their say, basically, about the direction they want uh, the, the country to take. Lorenzo Pregliasco is political analyst, public opinion analyst, political researcher and professor at the University of Bologna. Um, we have had three governments in a row which were the result of a parliamentary majority, but which were not the direct outcome of the national election of 2018. So we'll see whether this changes and whether we'll have a new government in place uh, which reflects the vote of Italians after Sunday's elections. How did we get here to these upcoming elections in Italy? There are snap elections uh, because uh, the leader uh, of the coalition, uh, President Mario Draghi, resigned Piero Ignazi is former professor of comparative politics, researcher of far-right political parties at the University of Bologna. Three parties uh, of uh, the former coalition decided not to support uh, his uh, governmental action. And uh, so the President of the Republic, uh, Sergio Mattarella, uh, didn't find any way to uh, promote or suggest uh, another government who could have uh, the confidence uh, on the chambers and uh, so decided to uh, have new elections. So here we are. Why are these elections so important? For the first time, uh, we could have uh, the uh, party of the extreme right, uh, which is uh, Fratelli Italia, Brothers of Italy, as uh, the larger part uh, of the right-wing coalition and therefore uh, to get the uh, premiership. So that would be the uh, most important novelty. On the other hand, uh, should be stressed that Italy had already uh, many right-wing government uh, led by uh, Silvio Berlusconi in the past, uh, but with the difference uh, that uh, Berlusconi's party, Forza Italia, was uh, the uh, pivotal, uh, more important party of that coalition and the other were uh, junior partners. In this way, the most right-wing uh, uh, component of that coalition might be, as all the survey polls uh, uh, underline, uh, the main party of the coalition. But how do Italians vote? Since Italy has one of the most complex electoral systems in Europe, how does it work? We are voting for the first time with a new electoral law and people like Every, everyone basically, except the really technicians, are struggling to understand it. Even when politicians had to make uh, the electoral list, it was really complicated and it um, influenced a lot the, uh, the list. Federica Pascale is editor-in-chief for Euractive Italy. 
one of the um, um, consequences of this new electoral law is that to uh, secure some places for like important politicians, they had to be candidated in other uh, regions that they were, it, uh, the, those regions were not their own. So for example, now you have a situation where someone from Lombardy is candidated in Sicily. And of course this creates huge uh, problems because uh, of course the politicians from Sicily are complaining because they cannot be candidate in their own regions and of course citizens uh, are not satisfied because they are voting someone who is not a co-regional, you know? So it's really a complex system and we're voting for the first time. So we're actually all waiting to see how this turns out. As a bicameral parliamentary democracy, general elections decide the composition of the lower house, the Chamber of Deputies, Camera dei Deputati, and Senate, Senato. Italians aged 18 and over are eligible to vote, but they don't directly pick their prime minister. Rather, the head of government is picked after the new parliament convenes, and a candidate has both won a confidence vote and the president's approval. This year, things will be a bit different for Italians heading to the polls. The current electoral system favors coalitions over individual parties and sets the majority threshold at 40% of seats. Now, following a 2020 referendum, the number of parliamentary seats has been reduced. Now, Italians have to elect 400 MPs as opposed to 630, and the number of senators has also been reduced from 315 to 200, so 600 in total. So who are Italians voting for, uh, Federica? We have on the left the um, uh, coalition party, the coalition uh, led by Enrico Letta, who is the um, leader of uh, Partito Democratico, Democratic Party, and uh, it is a coalition formed by smaller parties. Um, I explain myself. Uh, P, um, Partito Democratico alone has 21%, and uh, together the whole coalition has 28%. So you understand how small the other parties are, and they also have some problems according to the electoral program, because they, they change according to each party uh, who formed the coalition. Then we have, for the first time, a third poll, which is the, um, uh, the uh, common list uh, created by Renzi's uh, Italia Viva, uh, Matteo Renzi, which was a uh, former prime minister, and then Carlo Calenda uh, Azione, who was also like minister in uh, president, uh, president governments. And uh, they create, they're kind of creating what Macron did in France. So for the first time, they, they actually want to be in the center and attract votes from left and right. And then there is the right coalition, which is formed by Meloni, which is leading the, who is leading the coalition and is the leader of Brothers of Italy. Then we have Matteo Salvini, a leader of Lega, and Silvio Berlusconi, of course, you know him, a uh, leader of Forza Italia, which is actually not translatable in English. And uh, yeah, so this is more or less the scenery. Of course, there are smaller parties, but that's the main. And uh, how do the candidates appear in the in the arena of uh, this electoral fight? Uh, what, what's the strategy, for instance, of uh, Conte, of uh, Salvini, of Meloni, etc.? Well, in general terms, uh, the strategy of Conte, so the former prime minister, now head of the Five Star, is to reposition himself and the party as a sort of left-wing populist party. 
uh, which was uh, quite different, which is quite different from what they had to do over the last four years because they were in government. And, and actually, the first government they, they uh, formed in 2018 was with the right-wing Lega. So it was um, a very difficult and different political climate from now. They are now trying to pivot to this sort of left-wing, um, anti-establishment and economically, I wouldn't say radical, but left-wing messaging. Um, when it comes to Meloni, uh, brother of Italy, she's probably uh, one of the main characters of this election. And, wh- and why is Meloni one of the main characters? She had an exceptional growth in polls from 4% to more than 20% in polls over the last uh, four years. And what she is trying to do is to present herself as a sort of reassuring uh, face for Italians. Uh, She heads a right-wing party, uh, which used to be the the, the successor to a post-fascist movement. And so what she needs to do is basically to say, uh, I'm not a, a threat to democracy. I'm not a threat to civil rights. I just, I'm, I'm just a conservative wanting to uh, promote a conservative government agenda. And so she's trying to moderate herself a bit in terms of messaging. And as for Salvini, well, he has been in decline in polls for a couple of years now, more than a couple of years. So he used to be the strong man in the right. Now he sees Mrs. Meloni uh, basically surpassing uh, him and, and Lega, uh, which in a way reduces his pace. And so what he's trying to do is to get back to his old uh, messaging of you know anti-illegal immigration and law and order. Uh, we'll see whether this pays off. What about Berlusconi? Uh, should we keep an eye on him or is his party working in the background to help build a government and a strong coalition? Well, Berlusconi uh, is basically always there. Uh, he, he he first ran for, for the national election and he won the national election of 1994. So that is 28 years ago. And after that, he was one of the uh, leaders in any subsequent national election. 96, 2001, 2006, 2008, 2013, 18, and now in 2022, he is still there, not with the same, um, let's say, central role he played in the past. He's, he now leads a party, Forza Italia, which is um, smaller than it used to be. Uh, but nevertheless, what's interesting is that he is very good at adapting himself to the political uh, context. And so even at the head of a small party, compared to what Forza Italia used to be in the past, he might be able to play a decisive role should the center-right have a majority in the next parliament. So he could be uh, small but decisive in the next majority coalition. And Lorenzo, you're also head of Utrend, an Italian data journalism and politics magazine, and you conduct polls as well. So what is the policy with the polls uh, and are they usually accurate? We are mm, banned from uh, publishing polls in Italy um, in, in the last few few days. Actually, there is a two-week ban on publishing polls, um, which does not prevent pollsters from uh, running polls and clients from commissioning them. So basically, you have quite a weird situation where uh, pollsters, 
politicians and some journalists are in the loop and they are aware of the latest movements while the public opinion is not aware of the latest uh, movements in, in, in voting intentions. Um, let's say that this is quite quite a difficult situation for, for pollsters because you never know what you can say, what you're allowed to say. Um, I, 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 I tend to think that um, the, the last couple of weeks uh, traditionally uh, has the potential to change a bit the balance of, of votes and the vote share. This has happened in the past and who knows, maybe this is happening also this time. You're listening to Euractiv's Beyond the Byline podcast. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter on euractiv.com slash newsletters. Check out our explainer on Italian elections. And if you want to expand your knowledge on other fields, you can listen to our tech podcast and our agri-food podcast. And if you have any comments or ideas, you can drop a line at podcast at euractiv.com. And let's just speculate a bit uh, about the outcome of the elections. How do you see the elections spanning out? Well, you basically have um, one scenario, which is the center-right or right-wing coalition uh, having a clear majority in both the houses of parliament, the chamber and the Senate. Um, This is a scenario where probably you would see a Meloni government, or if not Meloni, Uh, somebody close to Fratelli d'Italia and close to uh, her. And this is quite a likely scenario if we think of the uh, pre-polling blackout um, situation. Then you have a second scenario, which could be the center-right being the largest coalition, but not reaching the outright majority in parliament or even in one of the two chambers. Uh, this is not very likely, according to you know pre-election forecasts and analysis, uh, because of the weakness uh, of the centre-left, which is not only weaker than the centre-right, but it is also basically split into three: so PD, Five Star, and Renzi and Calenda's centrist party are running uh, on their own. And so this makes it extremely difficult for them to be competitive in the first-past-the-post constituency part of the electoral system. So this is not a likely outcome. It is probably the desired outcome by the center-left and by uh, basically those who don't want to see the right in uh, in power. And one final scenario would be that the center-right not only has a clear majority, but it has an overwhelming majority of seats. Um, in the chamber and in the Senate. And this could potentially lead to them, uh, as we said, being able to change the constitution on on their own with the two-thirds of seats. Again, not a likely scenario, but something which cannot be considered impossible as of now. And uh, Professor Ignazi, would a right-wing party uh, be able to survive in Italy? Many people say they will not survive because uh, uh, at the end uh, there will be... uh, series of conflicts uh, and so on, uh, but a sort of uh, leitmotiv in the discussion these days. Uh, I don't think so, actually. I don't think uh, that uh, there will be um, so 
big differences among uh, among the three parties uh, that will break up uh, their coalition. Uh, I mean, power is a very powerful glue. And how could the result of the elections affect the existing constitution? Do you think uh, there will be amendments there, Lorenzo? Well, it is a possibility uh, because basically every every party, every leader calls for constitutional amendments. Then the reality is that it is quite difficult and slow as a process. Uh, you need a double approval, uh, both from the chamber and from the Senate twice. So it is a long, uh, it is a long process, and it is designed so uh, by the constitution in order to prevent, you know. Um, changes which are not uh, well well thought and were reasoned. So it, it is not a, an easy process. Uh, for sure, should the centre-right have a wide majority, uh, this would be probably easier. And there is still a slim chance that the centre-right might have two-thirds of seats in the parliament, which would mean that they would be able to change the constitution without the possibility to call for a confirmatory referendum. So that would be unprecedented. It is not a very probable scenario, but it is on the table. And this this for sure would make it, again, easier to, to see a constitutional reform, maybe a presidential reform. And what would it mean for international politics and the EU if we have a right-wing uh, prime minister like Giorgia Meloni? Well, it would mean that... Um, Italy has somebody in power who is not a technocrat, as Mr. Draghi, as Prime Minister Draghi is now, but somebody who expresses a clear political uh, orientation, a clear political will. And this would also mean that basically the Italian government would be led by somebody uh, who is seen with skepticism by many international observers, This explains also why Mrs. Meloni uh, tried several times to appeal to them and to present herself as somebody reliable, uh, as somebody who is more of a national conservative leader than a far-right extremist leader. Because I think she, she understands that there is some concern at the political level and maybe also at the, at the level of, of markets and, and investors Although the consensus among them, as far as I know, is that basically Italy, even with a right-wing government, is constrained by European rules and by the recovery fund in a way that uh, makes you know, Italy in a way uh, less dangerous than it used to be a few years ago in terms of public debt, for example. Uh, so this is probably the scenario we're looking at a scenario where Mrs. Meloni will probably be more, um, more i i in line with Eastern European governments. She has a, quite a close political relationship with many Eastern European leaders uh, who belong to the Conservative Party, to the European Conservative Party she is the leader of. Um, and this, this is for sure a, a change, although in terms of the Atlantic NATO uh, commitment, Uh, and in terms of, for example, the commitment in favor of Ukraine, she has been very, very clear, and she's basically saying we're doing, uh, we're going to do what the Draghi government has done so far. And what about the citizens, Federica? What are people expecting from uh, Sunday's elections? They want a government that has a long-term plan, 
because uh, of course we didn't have one till now and um, they are they're facing rising prices for uh, energy bills so they want the government to do something about it and uh, i think italy is far behind on different themes actually on energy justice infrastructures so i think they want the national recovery plan we have to to do some changes for real like to use those funds in the correct way so this is i think is the main challenge that the next government is going to face thank you very much I am Evikiori and this was your Actives Beyond the Byline podcast. Visit your Active for the latest news and if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on your favorite podcasting app. This episode was produced by myself with the help of Federica Pascale. Thank you for listening.